Hey friends, this is Jeffrey Wu with the Health Via Modern Nutrition HVMN podcast. And today I'm super excited to welcome back on my colleague and collaborator and now scientific co-author, Dr. Lat Mansour. Lat, congratulations on the publication. Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you too um, as the co-author on this paper. I'm very excited to be back. Has been a while. So I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, we got to do this more often. It's been fun doing the Free Fatty Fridays. It's been fun talking to guests, but there's definitely some camaraderie with just like a close friend, collaborator, and thought partner on science. So let's dive into it. Obviously, in our position as, you know, one of the leaders in terms of producing, doing research in ketogenic diet, exogenous ketones, this whole area relating between metabolism, human performance, longevity, therapeutics. I think we see a lot. So hopefully this conversation will be helpful for practitioners, scientists, academics, just hot, even hobbyists, uh, people looking at diet in, in terms of making a better personal life. Hopefully this conversation will be helpful. So as a, as a frame, so Latin, I recently published a paper at the end of January that we've been working on for the last, I would say a few months, looking at the recovery aspect of exogenous ketones. But before diving into it, I think it's just worth just framing up like why, how, what is even the purpose here? I know that, you know, from a personal perspective, you left academia to work on more application side. So before diving into the literature itself, it might be just fun to just go through from you. Obviously, been out of the publishing scholarship game for a little bit. How is it like being back into... uh into scholarship? Um, I think I think it's great fun. It's something that obviously I've done before and I know how to do it. Uh, but, but most importantly, I think this time around is less so me doing experiment in labs and publishing it. It's rather us really put our thoughts together as, as thought leadership drivers and, and really impact how many people we can reach out to and, and make sure like this sort of information gets out to the public. I think that sort of perspective has changed quite a bit from the last time when I was still in academia. So that that's how I would see this time around, you know, publication and writing a paper and, and contributing to the scholarship of key terms. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, I've always, I'm a, I was, you know, I grew up a math science geek, right? Like I grew up, my dad was a physicist, very inspired by theoretical physics, theoretical mathematics, where you can derive from both empirical results and then theoretical thought experiments come to predictions or frameworks of how to describe the universe. So, uh, you know, so my lens in terms of approaching this piece of work, this piece of scholarship was very much in the footsteps of theoretical biology. How do we think about frameworks to describe observations holistically around exogenous ketones and the specific area of recovery, right? Because I think what is what is any field of science or inquiry, right? That's empiricism, which is, as you're describing, in the wet lab, running experiments, collecting the data, and describing and having a discussion on said data. And then I think there's a more theoretical framework discussion side of academia or scholarship, which is like, okay, let's be much more theoretical and talk about the holistic body of data and how to describe a framework to describe the the the, the, the corpus of the observations. And I think the thing that, that, that I attracted me to computer science was that the speed of collecting data 
And I think obviously when you did your, you know, your doctorate work, right, you took months to collect data. And I, I've always appreciated the, the speed of seeing your contribution with something like computer science. And I feel like at this point in my career where I can build on top of the sweat, labor, and, and, and tears of physiologists, biologists looking at the data and then at our position collating, we can get the best of both worlds where we can help contribute to some frameworks how to think about the physiology happening here without necessarily having to do the nitty gritty wet lab work, which is very, very intensive, very, very challenging, very, very finicky. So I feel very fortunate and I feel very thankful to just like credit all the researchers before us that generated the raw data sets in which we were able to derive some of our frameworks and scholarship. And I think another very important point that, that we should also mention here is that our transparency and our commitment to science and knowledge allow us to, to then write this piece of scholarship because we are not affiliated with any of these research groups and we are not biased towards or against any of these. We are simply taking what they have found out from their experiments and their data sets and articulate what we think is the hypothesis and what are the best next steps in this field. So I think from that point of view, we, we are you know, in, in a very good position to really articulate our views on what is the current literature so far. Hey guys, this is Jeff Wu interrupting my podcast for a special offer, a special announcement for you. As you might know, HVMN just launched the new Keto Food Bar and they're yummy, they're delicious, and I wanna make a special personal offer for you to give you a discount to get those into your hands. So for a limited time only, use the discount code JEFF10. That's G-E-O-F-F number one, number zero, JEFF10 for a 10% discount on the Keto Food Bar on HVMN.com. We got Mexican hot chocolate, one of my personal favorites. We got vanilla shortbread, we got chocolate chunk, and of course, we got the everything bagel, which is legit savory, garlicky, oniony. And these have become staples in my own personal life. I like to eat this with a cup of coffee for breakfast. I've been using the Mexican hot chocolate, the vanilla, as grab and go bars when I'm biking when I'm out on the town, when it's not easy for me to eat healthy, eat keto. So these are certified organic. They actually are yummy. They aren't these weird synthetic artificial tasting bars you might see that are keto compliant, but have a bunch of fake IMOs and things that actually spike glycemic response. And of course, while they're also certified organic and they actually taste good, these have been tested on continuous glucose monitors. So they actually have flat glycemic response on your blood sugar. So essentially it's a, a fasting mimetic, but we're still delivering almost 300 calories of healthy fat and 12 grams of healthy protein and grass-fed collagen. These are legit. I'm so excited for you to try them and use my personal discount code, Jeff10, to get a special 10% discount. So check it out and enjoy and back to the program. And I think the other part that's like, I think very, very fascinating where I think we have a very unique vantage point is that we are not in the ivory tower of academia where we just work on randomized controlled trials in the clinic. Because we've worked with elite athletes, because we work with hobbyists, because we work and have a distributed community of folks all around the world who are constantly experimenting and providing anecdotes, I think 
Of course, anecdote does not mean data, but anecdote is some sort of signal for us to think and further investigate interesting signal. And I think that gives us a pretty unique position because we have an ability to now focus our Sauron's eye into where I think the most interesting problems are. Now, for this specific paper, which uh, was published in Frontiers in Physiology on January 26, 2021. The paper is titled Ketones for Post-Exercise Recovery, Potential Applications and Mechanisms. The inspiration really came from, I think, both your and my conversations with athletes and, and sports nutritionists and physiologists that work prof with professional athletes. And the observation and the intuition that the ergogenic or pre-acute use of exogenous ketones likely will be a secondary use case for exogenous ketones. But in fact, the primary use case or the highest leverage use case for exogenous ketones will be for the recovery use case. And this was especially salient in the Tour de France teams, especially after the work of uh, Professor Peter Hesbel out of Belgium, out of KU Levon. So... This was not necessarily scholarship that was, I think, could be intuited from just the published peer review literature or from academia. It really took insight from practitioners, from really the elite athletes who are, are machines, essentially science experiments of N equals ones themselves, where they're so attuned and that their, their subjective N equals one experiences actually are some useful signal because these athletes, these men and women are so attuned that any sort of deviation they have, a, 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 like we should not discount that as just anecdata. There is some attuned sensibility there because these are essentially professional machines that we should do some a, a deeper investigation in. And I think that's where this insight came from. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, and coming from a you know science background and all that scientific training, obviously, a lot of times we do discount a lot of anecdotal data, anecdotal examples. You know, if the P value is not less than 0 0.05, you know, it doesn't count. You know, ultimately that's what we, we went through. But after being on this side of things and really having that interface with, as you said, professional athletes and professional military personnel that really, you know, are so attuned and so used to how their body works and whatever intervention you throw at them, they know exactly what is happening in their bodies. That gives us that, as you said, the signal to then start to investigate more and try to have more conversations with researchers who are actually in the position to run these experiments and have the know-how as well as the equipments to really measure what was initially an anecdotal data and then turn it into a publishable uh, set of data. Exactly. So, yeah, and I think you clarified it quite nicely. I don't mean to imply that anecdata from professional athletes means real science. But I think it is a valuable tool, or at least a spotlight to focus attention of science, right? Because like, you can run experiments on infinite amount of variation, but that discovery process is very inefficient. But if you can have these anecdotes, these stories help us spotlight and focus our attention, and well, we can make progress in our understanding in, in metabolism and physiology by focusing on, on, on the areas that have some promise. And then you do the randomized control trials on top of those select areas 
And that's how we make progress, right? It's like, that's where I'm inspired by like the theoretical physics side of the world where Einstein's theory of general relativity and special relativity were posited in the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s. And then only when you had satellites that could actually detect gravitational waves as an actual force, then it's like, wow, like Einstein's models actually predicted the world, the observations better than Newtonian physics. And it, like that experiment was literally 50 years after the fact. And I think from our perspective, it's like, okay, how do we do something similar in physiology, in sports nutrition, where we're trying to posit the frameworks given our understanding of everything that's going on from the hobbyists to the academics, to the professional athletes in between, and then use that to propose experiments and frameworks where then our collaborators, our, our, our partners in academia can help prove out these theories, help prove out these frameworks. So excited to play our role in overall understanding of metabolism, overall understanding of ketosis. 100%, 100%. So yeah, enough preamble and, and, and positioning. Let's dive into the paper and, and talk about it. So where should we start? So maybe just to frame it up again, like the, uh, maybe I'll just like frame up like, you know, as we're talking about this probably mid last year, you know, maybe summer of 2020, late 2020, let's look at the recovery aspect uh, because of all the subjective anecdotes of like, of, of the recovery use case and, and no one really writing a formal review that's really collated the state of the art. So essentially, if you look at all the literature in all the review papers in exogenous ketones, very focused on their ergogenic effect or basically the pre-exercise, the pre-bout use case of exogenous ketones. But the information, the focus, the literature, the discussion around the recovery use case, no one really wrote about it. I mean, I think we, I, I would say that, again, I don't want to overclaim our contribution, but no one had really looked at the corpus from a recovery perspective until we took a look. Is that accurate? Is, is that, I mean, I, again, I don't want to overclaim here, but I, I think we should just state what we think the facts are. And we love to be corrected if someone else has done some good work here and, and learn from them as well. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think from what we have, you know, researched to, to build this paper, especially, we have seen some form of um, recovery with regards to ketones, whether exogenous or endogenous ketones every now and again, you know, uh, sporadically, but no one has actually put them all together and proposed a potential mechanism or a potential dose or a potential application case, uh, you know, uh, case studies or, or whatnot to, to really optimize what we already know or what these studies actually brought forward. So th I think that's what sparked our conversation to, you know, why not, why don't we be the one, you know, to really put this together, take a look, you know, go through the literature, sum up everything that has been done, that is going to be done, that, that have, people has experienced in, in, you know, real life scenarios, environmentally, in, in uh, races, in athletic performances, and let's see what we get. And I think that was how we started. Yeah, exactly. And so... Again, like we can talk about the conclusion later, but like let's just walk through kind of the key sections here. So in terms of recovery, right? So I think just from the anecdotal, anecdotal part of the world, right? There's been a lot of just discussion around ketogenic diet, reduce inflammation, so people feel less sore. But that's been like kind of 
the tribal secret or like the, the bro science of ketogenic diet. Like, hey, I feel more recovered. I don't get as sore after workouts. So it's definitely something interesting from the endogenous ketogenic diet perspective, from a recovery perspective. And then when we're talking to the, the Tour de France athletes and looking at, especially, again, a lot of credit to Hezbollah's group over at KU Levon, a lot of the exciting data on enhancing a work output using ketones as a recovery protocol. So those, I would say, would be like the anchor inspirations in terms of what we've started pursuing. But maybe we just break down the literature in terms of endogenous and then go into exogenous and walk through some of the more interesting mechanisms. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you, Jeff. That is exactly how we approached this paper in terms of methodology. Basically, we went and did a, a full literature uh, search around ketones and recovery, regardless whether it's endogenous or exogenous, because we want to see, you know, everything, the whole body, whole, whole corpus of what has been done. So we started off by looking at ketogen, uh, ketogenic diet as a representative of endogenous ketones. And what we have found is that, you know, some animal studies actually showed ketogenic diet reduces the oxidative damage post-exercise and really improve that recovery period as well, the shorter time that the animals need to recover and perform uh, more exercise afterwards. So that is, you know, our first sort of first step to like really establish that, yes, okay, ketones being present in your body does help with recovery post-exercise. So that's where we, we started off. Jeff, do you want to continue? No, I think, I think, I think keep going down to the, the ketogenic diet perspective. Let's talk about mechanisms. So first, uh, so, you know, we looked at a couple of papers here. We've got four papers that looked at uh, mice. Well, three papers that look at mice and then one paper look at in vitro and then one paper looks at trained cyclists. So we are looking at. And this is ketogenic diet. Yeah. And these are ketogenic diets. And we looked at the mitigate mitigative effect of ketones and as i said earlier there's oxidative damage and then there is the cytokines the interleukin uh, six synthesis it you know it really increases during exercise but what they found with ketogenic diet is that il6 being decreased and that is a very strong indicator of the anti-inflammatory aspect of ketones so that's very interesting as well and then for the trained cyclist they actually added ketogenic diet with keto analogs associated with amino acids. So instead of like BCAA, it's like keto um, amino acids. And they actually saw a diminished exercise-induced hyperammonia. So what happened is that people started um, noticing the increase in ammonium uh, production during exercise. So by introducing ketogenic diet and keto analog-associated amino acids, the hyperammonemia actually got reduced and therefore that helps with the recovery as well. Yeah, no, so I think it's interesting that we're helping unpack and tease these reports in terms of the direct mechanisms of action to just to, you know, re-underline interleukin-6, which is an inflammatory marker. Very interesting to see decreased IL-6 with an endogenous ketogenic diet, as well as the, an ammonia factor. Any other mechanisms worth discussing? Because one, I think it's interesting from a drug or supplement targeting perspective, things in the pathway that, that, that we believe ketogenic diet or endogenous ketones work. 
Anything else in terms of mechanisms, actions worth calling out? I think what would be very interesting is to really see the metabolomics in post-exercise recovery, because I think the interaction between substrates, for example, interaction between glucose and fatty acids and glycogen, especially glycogen resynthesis post-exercise, that's very important with how fast you can get back on your feet and do the next bout of exercise. So in that sense, I really would like to see experiments that employ either endogenous or exogenous ketones and look at metabolomics and push that limit of what we have in terms of science and technology right now and, and figure out how the interaction happens in the body as your body is recovering. Does the ketones push you know, glucose one way and, and fatty acid another way and Ultimately, you know, how does that react with insulin and other hormones? And I think those are the next steps of, of experiments that could give us a clearer picture of mechanisms of actions. Because while all these experiments are really great in giving us an early insight as to how the mechanisms of actions work, we know that our body is such a complex machine that it all falls down to the interactions between hormones, between substrates, between different receptors. And I think we cannot overlook the importance of the different pathways and one goes up, the other goes down and vice versa. I think that should be really like focus on next, you know, how whenever, you know, we see things like this um, going out. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely, I think a lot of future work to be done here and we'd love to collaborate and work with other researchers to help flesh out this model further. But yeah, just in terms of other uh, mechanisms, I'm just browsing through and refreshing my memory here. But, you know, things like creatine kinase, lactate dehydrogenase, obviously creatine and lactate production are interesting metabolic byproducts of heavy exercise. So like, you know, if, if ketones from a ketogenic diet perspective impact both the breakdown or catabolism, anabolism of these, these enzymes, obviously those would be of impact and of interest to a study. Yeah, I'm just looking at like blood urea, nitrogen, blood ammonia, right? Like these are just interesting to see that like the ketogenic diet experiments show that these seem to be directly manipulated by a, a endogenous ketogenic diet. Before we move on to exogenous ketones, which I think is interesting because this unlocks a lot of the experimental things that you're teasing at, because to me, exogenous ketones, to me, the innovation here is not necessarily because there's something magical about a ketone that you can drink. It's just like a very powerful tool that differentiates a ketogenic diet, which requires carbohydrate restriction to literally just like not having to worry about carbohydrate restriction and having ketones and really studying the, both the metabolism of beta hydroxy, beta hydroxybutyrate oxidation and signaling effect of BHB. Right. So it's like a very powerful research tool. So to me, like, obviously, like, I think from a product perspective, there's a lot of hype around, oh, ketones can be, you know, do X, Y, Z, A, B, C. But I think fundamentally, I, I'm, you know, as a scientist and as a, you know, I, I'm like interested at using these molecules as a research tool. So maybe we can like intuit how this research tool has been able to help us accelerate our understanding of recovery. So let's talk about kind of the key papers we focused on uh, for our paper, as well as some of the key mechanisms that we highlighted. So we looked at three main papers that really look at, looked at exogenous ketones with regards to post-exercise recovery. The first paper that we mentioned was Holtzworth in 2017, 
where they have glycemic clamp. So they introduce ketones and very high level of glucose in athletes after exercise. And what they have seen is that that high amount, high concentration of glucose with ketones actually kickstart the increase in insulin secretion uh, and potentially drive the increase in GLUT4 activity that helps take in glucose and help with the glycogen resynthesis. And therefore, as the final result, they saw um, glucose uptake increase by 32% and muscle glycogen content by 50%. So that's the first paper. Any, any, any comments and any, any addition you would like to add before I go on the second and third paper? I think let's, we can discuss and, and dissect one by one if you like. Yeah, this is a Holdsworth, right? I mean, I think maybe just we should talk about Holdsworth and Van Dorn together. Okay. Then, yep. And I agree. Then, and then go from there. Yep. Yep. Great, great suggestion. So, um, so now on to the second paper, which is Van Dorn 2017. So this, this study, they use ketone monoester with carbohydrate as well as standard, you know, protein after exercise to look at the effect of, you know, post-exercise recovery. So, so uh, interestingly enough, in this study, they did not see an increase in glycogen resynthesis uh, as seen in Holtzworth's paper. However, they did see an enhanced mTOR activation activity that leads towards protein synthesis. So that, to me, is quite interesting. And that was when we tried to dissect into the difference in methodologies between these two papers and why is there a difference between, you know, one and the other in terms of glycogen synthesis and, and, you know, driving glucose intake into the muscles, ETC, ETC. So one of the main difference that we saw is that in Holtzworth's paper, they use hyperglycemic clamp and Van Dorn's paper is just an oral sort of you know, you, you just take in glucose together with your ketone ester. Which is much more ecological. Yeah, which is much, much more ecological in Van Dorn's paper. And that means Holdsworth's paper, it's very high glucose. They, I, I believe that they reach almost like 10 millimolar glucose, blood glucose. It's like 10 level. millimolar blood of glucose, which is... They're ecologically very, very high. I mean, you're ba it's basically like, it's like you're just drinking straight up soda, like continuously. It's not normal. It's not good for you. It's not realistic. Yeah. So, so it makes sense that at that point, when you're already pumping so much glucose into your body, your body will force itself to upregulate insulin to, you know, put those glucose away and upregulate GLUT4 to really take in the glucose into either storage or into usage, into oxidation. Uh, and that is why we saw an increase. It's almost like a forced increase in glycogen resynthesis. Whereas with Van Dorn's paper, as you said, it's more ecological. Somebody, you know, you finish a workout, you drink your ketone ester with carbs, with protein, and that's your sort of recovery stack. And they saw an increase in, you know, the, the, the glycogen resynthesis still happened. It's just not at, at a super logical, super physiological, um, rate. But most importantly is the activation of mTOR in repairing your muscles and really producing your proteins to, to, repair during that recovery period. Yeah, so, yeah, 100%. So I think where I learn is that like I, it, it's basically just from the, the, the differing results. Basically, I do not believe uh, Holdsworth results that much in terms of the glycogen replenishment story because you don't see any difference in Holdsworth paper, or sorry, Van Dorn's paper where 
an ecological dose of glucose, you don't see the increased glycogen replenishment. But does that mean there's no benefit of exogenous ketones for enhancing recovery? And I think this is where it's like very, very interesting because of the enhanced mTOR action. And I think this is especially interesting because typically with a ketogenic diet, a lot of the benefit that people talk about is that you flatten your mTOR activation. And then with people like David Sinclair and that train of thought, there's been, and, and Peter Atia, they talk a lot about keeping your mTOR low to extend longevity. Well, that's right. And potentially a ketogenic diet as a strategy to keep your mTOR low. Mm -hmm. So why is it here that when you have protein, carb, and ketones, now you have you have enhanced mTOR activation. Now, is that is that a bad thing? Is that is that ketones bad for you now? I think this is like a great discussion point. Is that is, 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 are we in a paradox or are we in a contradiction? And I think this is where I like Keith Barr. And you know, this is my personal perspective, which is that just like everything in biology, there's no good or bad. And I think that when people talk about X is good or Y is bad, you are too simplistic. Like. Atia Sinclair, let's elevate the conversation. Let's talk about the cases and the nuance and the specificity of what we're exactly talking about. And I think they would not disagree with me because I know that they have a media hat on when they talk to a reporter, they need to dumb it down. And I think and when I'm talking to them specifically, I think they do agree with me on the importance of tissue specificity and the time in which you activate mTOR. Because mTOR is actually great. When you actually want to build and preserve lean muscle tissue, you want mTOR activation, especially as you age. One of the biggest co uh, correlates for mortality or morbidity is sarcopenia or the loss of lean muscle tissue. That's right. So when you say, hey, this is for anti-aging and for longevity, but you still want to reduce mTOR, it's like, no, of course, you don't want act, like a lot of noisy mTOR activation, but you want to have lean muscle tissue. So I think... The importance here is that you want to have the right activation of mTOR at the right tissues at the right time. So that is where I think that Vandor is especially interesting because when you, especially after you work out, which you have damage and activation in your lean muscle tissue, you want that enhanced mTOR activation. And this is where I'm like very skeptical about a metformin or a rapamycin which is touted by folks like Sinclair and Atia, is because you don't want untargeted blanket reduction of mTOR, especially not all the time. And I think they've walked back their protocol where they're, they're, they talk about like doing it not with their exercise. They talk about it at a, you know, away from the exercise and doing it sparingly, mm -hmm. right? And I think they also can see they don't know the right protocol. Mm -hmm. This is all super theoretical biohackery stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and the argument is, is maybe like, yes, Maybe like ambiently re reducing the noise because essentially the hypothesis is as you age, you have like an ambient rise of mTOR baseline activation, just like you have uh, mTOR, you have insulin resistance, you have mTOR resistance. So mTOR kind of just fires randomly as you age. Reducing it with like a blanket rapamycin or a blanket uh, metformin might be useful there. But I think just with like the, it's the case study where exercise really blunts and or metformin blunts the benefit of exercise really, really made me skeptical about the story. Because again, an uh, untargeted dirty drug is very, very different from something that's very ecologically consistent to something that your body knows how to handle, right? Exercise is a very complicated mechanism. It's essentially saying, hey, I can put exercise in a pill. I don't think that can ever be, 
that, that, that drug will never exist because exercise is so fucking complicated, right? Exercise is not just triggering mTOR or insulin or AMPK. Exercise is a very multifactorial cascade affecting so many metabolic pathways. So when someone tells me, hey, this magic drug is an anti-aging drug, I'm very, very skeptical. And I like keto ketosis or ketogenic diets because it is ancestrally consistent to go into starvation state, to go into carbohydrate restriction state, and you can actually reach keto ketosis through exercise. So there are the, the multifactorial paths of the dirty drug of exercise or ketogenic diet is much more ancestrally consistent to me than our arbitrary uh, molecule that you find on Easter Island or arbitrary molecule that you find out of a tree that you, that you convert into a metformin. So that's where like, I think there's like, there needs to be a nuanced debate where I think some of these folks, and, and, and to say like, I think there's interesting stuff there, right? Like there needs to be more done there. And I think I'm glad there are guinea pigs like Sinclair and Atia really, really testing this out on themselves. But I want our audience to understand that, hey, they are as speculative as any biohacker at that point. They, you know, they might have degrees in the institution but they're just as speculative as me or you, or the, the person at the Tour de France team trying ketones for recovery. They, you know, the, and this is what I think is great about science. It is not about credentialism, it's about data. And show me the data and I will be convinced. So I think this point here is especially salient to me because this really, I think, amplifies and nuances like the importance of not demonizing any particular metabolic pathway. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why are we demonizing AMPK or mTOR? It's like, I think you have someone write about a book or have a podcast about mTOR being bad for aging. Now people are like, oh, we got to clamp down mTOR. It's like, no, like literally ketones after exercise with protein carbohydrates enhancing mTOR is actually what you want for enhanced recovery. And I actually had to explain this pretty like, you know, deliberately with Ben Greenfield on his podcast. And I think it's like, you know, moving the thought space forward because Again, I think people miss the nuance here. So I'm glad that you let me you know, run on the soapbox here to, to clarify the space. Uh, throw it at you and get your feedback in context. Yeah, yeah, very well said, Jeff. I, I absolutely 100% agree. And I, I really respect, you know, your view in, in science, in the thought process, in how, you know, you really break down the complexity of, of metabolism as a whole. And I think ultimately, this is modern nutrition, right? This is what we at HVMN talks about every day. And, eat and breathe because you just want the right substrate and the right stimulus in order to create the right desired cascade metabolic cascade event to take take part right so you so for example here is you get the right substrate which is ketones carbohydrate and and, and proteins and leucine and then you get the right stimulus which is exercise and then boom you get muscle synthesis you get protein synthesis and that's what you want out of you know, this event. So similarly, previously, I believe, um, you know, our, our friend Bree did a podcast for us about ketones increasing inflammation. And then people are like, oh no, ketones, is, isn't ketones supposed to be anti-inflammatory? But in that study, there is the stimulus, which is the bacterial toxin. And ketones actually increases that response to, to the toxin. So it's that like you want that response. But on a normal basis, you don't want chronic inflammation. You don't want chronic inflammatory responses. So ketone keeps that down. But when you introduce a toxin, your body fires up and ketones help you to do that. So that is the story here, right? You want the right time, right place 
the body, the uh, parts of your body to do the right thing. So it's very, very important for us, like you said, not demonize a certain pathway or certain molecule or certain enzyme, but instead really modify, modulate that and really try to manipulate those pathways to really create what's best for you and what you want to achieve. You know, whether it's longevity, whether it's muscle building, whether it's weight loss, like you know your body best and now you have the information to really, you know, fix either your nutrition, your, your lifestyle and put them together. And there you go, you get the results. So it's not about, you know, slamming one down like not 24 seven and then ignore the others or, you know, really hyping one thing up for 24 seven and then ignore the others. It's, it's a collaborative work in your body that's happening, you know, whatever you do. Yep. And that's where I think just my system engineering thinking, I think is helpful. And I think, yeah, I know it's been a good collaboration and a good partnership in terms of scholarship, right? It's just like, like I will not, you know, claim any formal, you know, doctorate training in metabolism or physiology, but, you know, an opportunity to work with you to like really get it, get up to speed on it and then allowing me to bring my insights from a systems engineering perspective i think that's where it's like interesting and fun to to uh create new academic work so yeah let's, let's we you know i think we have already multiple other papers that we're already thinking thinking about but you know we're not going to scoop ourselves here uh let's let, let's focus on uh Maybe wrapping up kind of the key other things here. You want to talk about uh, my favorite paper, the Hesel paper, but the first author is Puff. We should uh, definitely credit Puff. Yes. So this is, as Jeff said, is also you know one of the most interesting paper that really looked at exogenous ketones and post-exercise recovery. And before I go there as well, I just want to point out that Van Dorn's paper, in which they showed the activations of activation of mTOR, is actually in vitro as well where they specifically looked at leucine-mediated mTOR activation, like downstream mTOR activation. And that then translates to our next question, right? So yes, we have seen now how ketones and leucine and, and carbohydrates could potentially increase protein synthesis. So what does that mean in terms of applying it into you know, uh, an athlete or applying it into your daily lives? So POPS paper, essentially answers that. So they looked at three weeks of using ketones, carbohydrates, and proteins as post-recovery strategy for cyclists. And they take one dose of that after exercise, and they take another dose before sleep. So after three weeks, they then measure the work output, and they saw a 15% improvement in work output after using that post-exercise strategy versus placebo. And that's huge, 15% in like three weeks. It's you know quite amazing, I would say. So let's start the discussion from there. Cool, yeah, no, I, I think this, uh, again, what, like, again, why I like this paper so much is that it's so ecological, right? I think a lot of a critique of academia is that the experiments are based on, on the ease of the scientists to find a statistically significant result. So it's like very contrived, right? Like that would be a, like, again, I don't want like the critique or an uncritique, but I think it's a very fair of critique that this incentive of a scientist is to produce a statistically significant result P less than 0.05 so they can publish a paper, right? Like that's how they get grant money. That's how they get a professorship. That's their incentive. So therefore, and this is the same thing with pharmaceuticals. 
they stack the experiment protocol to generate a statistically significant result. Is that fair? I mean, again, it's just the incentives of our system. And I like what Poff and Hesel did here because they tried to mimic an actual protocol of an ecological, meaning an actual real race, right? So they try to mimic a Tour de France protocol where it's like very, very quite to a day exercise protocol. Uh, you're not fasting the athletes. They're like really, really uh, stressing them out and then seeing if the recovery aspect really shines, right? So like to me, it's like, hey, this is like probably one of the most realistic papers that I can translate and talk to my friends or to our athletes. Hey, I feel pretty dang comp confident that this will translate to you and your specific use case. Because it's not some like very contrived academic clinical lab setup that's like not realistic in actual field, right? Because I don't care if like anything works in a controlled laboratory. What's practical is like, what is it actually going to help me on the field? And this is, I think, one of the Paragon papers for me that represents how exogenous ketones can actually work on the field. So that's like my point one. And then two, yeah, I mean, the numbers are pretty dang astounding in terms of the benefits, right? Like massive work output increase in, the, in a time trial increase, right? 15% work output, 5% time trial. That's very, very large. And uh, it's very much informed how I like to think about ketones as I advise, you know, our athletes, our friends, you know, you know, these are very, very top Olympic level, world-class level professional getting paid millions of dollars to do their art. I would not like, like the worst thing that for me is like, I advise them to do the wrong thing. Like that would literally friggin' suck. If like I got a friend with like millions of dollars on the line in a boxing or MMA fight and I tell them to do the wrong thing and I mess up their performance, right? Like as, as a friend that that would be painful. Yeah. So like when I talk about recovery, it's like, wow, like I feel really, really good about the recovery aspect here, especially as you're ramping up for specific duration or specific bout, bam, that is very, very solid. And yeah, I mean, I think that's where I think Van Dorn's mTOR mechanism uh, identification is very, very interesting because it very much explains the like, acceleration of recovery. I love it just like, you know, for our nerdier audience here, go into the mechanisms that's really, I think, emphasized in a very ecological study that, you know, Van Dorn or Holdsworth teases at. I mean, I think obviously mTOR uh, makes a lot of sense. And I think right now, so we've reached the point where, okay, we have gone through ketogenic diet, endogenous, exogenous ketones. Now we have seen in vitro and in vivo how ketones will help post-exercise recovery. So, you know, what's what's the next step here, right, Jeff? Obviously, we do realize that one of the things that you need, you know, for post-exercise recovery is the consistency. You need to really have a strategy that you can apply throughout, you know, like, for example, like Haskell's paper, POF's paper. It's three weeks long, you know, protocol. You have two doses per day, at least, if not three, if you do, you know, two exercise um, sessions. So what can we do now? to really ensure that there are exogenous ketones out there that is accessible for a consistent usage that you can use every day. Yep. And that's where, you know, one researcher, one scientist that we didn't explicitly cite, but was useful in our thinking was Kevin O'Fallon, who is a researcher affiliated with Natick uh, US Army Group. And he actually had an interesting paper looking at uh, his papers titled Utility of ketone supplementation to enhance physical performance, systematic review. 
And he very much did a, a very, I would say, analogous work looking at ergogenic pre-workout performance. And his conclusion was that you need to reach a two millimole threshold to see ergogenic benefit of a pre-workout benefit. And that's because if you look at ketone salts, MCTs, ketone esters, there's a variations of benefit. And really, I think you start seeing the, the ergogenic benefit as you reach above that 2.0 millimole threshold that Kevin O'Fallon posits out there. So that naturally got me thinking, I think one, recovery seems to be more actual potent use case. And two, there's likely an analogous threshold recovery for ketones for recovery. And that I think was like the, you know, I would say the main contribution of scholarship was positing, hypothesizing that, you know, it's not about the molecule or exogenous or endogenous, but having a threshold of ketones that is the trigger or step function that goes and switches on a lot of these recovery benefits. And what do we posit? I think we posited somewhere that one, threshold one, between one to three, one to three millimole BHB, given the literature with endogenous and exogenous ketones. So our hypothesis, like I would say like the key contribution in this paper, if you were to just like completely blank on the first 48 minutes of this conversation is that we hypothesize, we predict that there is a recovery threshold of what you need your beta hydroxybutyrate levels to see enhanced recovery. And you can get there, whether that's through endogenous or exogenous ketones. And that specific number is between one to three millimole BHB. And that's through our holistic, broad systematic review of all the literature across ketogenic diet and exogenous ketones. But also do know that if you're going through the endogenous ketone route, you might not be able to stack up the other substrates like carbohydrates and protein in case it kicks you out of ketosis. So that's a, a note that worth, you know, taking uh, notice. 100%. And that's where I think there is uniqueness of value of exogenous ketones as a performance enhancer or, or part of like a, a serious biohacker or performance or, or uh, serious longevity or performance person's toolkit, right? Like how do you get the lever of ketones without having to restrict carbohydrate, without having to restrict protein? And that's where ketones really, really shine. Again, ketones are not magical. They're a tool and you got to use them correctly. And I think exactly to your point, some of the best uses of ketones is stacking with carbohydrate and protein for the recovery use case. So that's like pretty exciting because one to three millimole BHB is not a crazy high level of ketones. And I think that opens up a lot of possibility of different product supplements and strategies to get to that recovery threshold in a number of multitude of ways. And I think that's where I like to be an API or platform where other people can build on top of our shoulders and propose protocols or, or, or hypotheses to best implement our findings into their own research or their own performance protocols. Anything to add there? No, I think, I think you said it very well. Um, I think that's a very good starting point as, you know, to really frame how we look at using, potentially using ketones, exogenous ketones specifically in conjunction with other substrates to enhance post-exercise recovery. And we are only scraping the surface as to what the threshold is. You know, one, two, three is just what we speculate right now. And I would love to see more studies that specifically look at looking at this threshold because for ketogenic diet, you know, it ranges really from like 
0.5 to all the way like maybe five six you know in some people depending on your body so having that variation may not provide the answer for us so you know it's i think moving forward i urge all this you know researchers who are in the field to really look at something you know use exogenous ketones or whatever means to achieve that consistent level and then vary the dose and look at the dose response with regards to post-exercise recovery because i think that will really put a very nice frame for the users for the end users whether as you say like hobbyists or athletes or uh, military or, or you and i you know to figure out like what's best for us and what's cost effective what is you know uh, make sure that we don't have to restrict our carbohydrates or make sure we don't have to over you know consume uh, a lot of exogenous ketones to get them you know at a super at a physiological level exactly and that's and, and and i think and i really like i i, I like this frame because i think obviously we have commercial interests as like you know a company that makes endogenous and exogenous ketone products but i don't care right like i just i, I think you and i are scientists at heart and like and i think i think that's where i think we find a lot of alignment and joy in working on the science side that like like my 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 conflicts are obvious and I don't care if like if we find results that say it doesn't work because like I see it as like hey I'm not wasting my time on shit that doesn't work and so like to me it's like win-win I'd love you know to uh in a world where it's like oh my my, my scholarship says that like what I'm working on doesn't work all right I'm saving my life because my my time your time our audience a listener's time is more valuable than us trying to just sell some product because I think you and I are smart enough to like sell any product we can we can always make a living so I think to me, it's like, it was very cool here that through our scholarship, we were able to show a very, very strong, unique application of the products that we're working on. And if, you know, you like our approach, our philosophy of our science contributing to our products, then absolutely support us. And there's other providers out there too and support them as well. And I think that's like the way I like to live now where it's like, I just, let's just, let's just do good work. And if people like what we're doing, support us. If not, go support someone else. If you don't you think the whole space is BS, you know, do your own thing. Like we're, you know, I, you know, let's just do our thing. And hopefully we show our transparency, our rigor, our thoughtfulness, our scholarship, our, our, our ability to just question like who the, what the credentials and what the anecdotes and what the bro science is. Hopefully this has shined through. I'm really glad that we were able to take it from our podcast, which I feel like have been very thoughtful, but also just making sure that our thoughtfulness now translate into academia where our scholarship is not just something that you and I discuss and disseminate to an audience in an informal way. But yes, uh, I'm very proud that you're able to go through a refereed process, very flattering to read the comments from top practitioners and top editors in our space. And, and, and very kind words in terms of just like the timeliness, the insight, the value of our work to this space. Again, I don't want to overly pat my ourselves on the shoulder here, but I think it is just like obviously, you know, it gets me excited to, and motivated to contribute more to the space in a formal way and not just pontificate with you on a podcast. Yep. Very well said, Jeff. Same here. I mean, like you said, you know, I've been out of the publication well for a bit, you know, after my PhD and my previous work was, you know, a lot around diabetes, hypoxia, and it's great to now contribute to the metabolism 
feel in, in, in general as well and physiology and really speak to the experts and have experts review our thoughts, our findings, and, and really validate what we're doing as a company, what we're doing as scientists, what we're doing as, you know, for our own interest, to be honest. Like at the end of the day, you and I, we are both just interested for ourselves. What is best for us? If I go to the gym today, what's best for me afterwards to make sure that I have lean muscle and not gain fat or what will help me so that tomorrow I can push harder because I recover better. You know, I think ultimately, you know, we are, you know, you and I are like our, our audience here who are just interested to find out what's the latest data that shows uh, results, evidence-based research. Yep. So we'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, Lat. If you think we're wrong, you think we're totally off base, write us, write a formal response paper. We're happy to review and respond to your response paper. Uh, love, I mean, this is science to me. Let's have a vigorous, rowdy debate. No ad hominem. I would think we're all learning together. No one is the, uh, no one knows how everything works. Very, very humble. Like if, if you find a, a flaw to our reasoning or a mistake in our scholarship, call us out. Like I'd love to learn from you. Write in at podcast.hfmen.com if you have any questions. Uh, especially if our work is maybe applicable to you, if you're a professional athlete or a top performing perform, you know, perform, you know, some, some you're using something like this from a performance perspective. Happy to be a sounding board for you. This is something that I personally like because I get value from uh, understanding your anecdotes and your data. As always, find us on social. So we're at HVMN. My personal handles are at Jeffrey Wu. Uh, Lat, what is your personal handle if they want to reach out to you? Um. At Lat Mansour, probably. Yeah, at Lat, at Lat Mansour. Yes, correct. Yeah, so I guess clearly Lat doesn't check his social media often enough. <laughs> um, but as always, hey, this is a fun conversation. Uh, we'll have to do it again soon. And we're actually thinking about doing a clubhouse live conversation. So you don't need to just also just like email us asynchronously. Lat and I and some of my friends who are high performing athletes, you know, those will be special guests. We're going to probably do a regular clubhouse show. So check that new platform out. My handle is at Jeffrey Wu on clubhouse. Follow me there and we'll do a broader announcement when that is scheduled. Again, thanks so much and talk to you all very soon.